This is the 5 a.m. Miracle, episode number 511, Succeeding Through Impossible Goals with Kara Lowenthal. Good morning and welcome to the 5 a.m. Miracle. I am Jeff Sanders and this is the podcast dedicated to dominating your day before breakfast. My goal is to help you bounce out of bed with enthusiasm, create powerful, lifelong habits, and tackle your grandest goals with extraordinary energy. In the episode this week, I speak with Kara Lowenthal. Kara is a master certified coach, podcaster, and author of Take Back Your Brain. She is here to share with us how to set impossible goals, change how we think about thinking, and practice being curious instead of judgmental. Let's dig in. All right, welcome back to the 5A Miracle Studios, and I'm here with an amazing guest, uh, Ms. Carl Lowenthal, and I'm excited to talk to her specifically because there is a very important kind of, I don't know, mindset and big shift that high achievers need to make. And as a you know recovering high achiever in many ways myself, I know that it's challenging to set big goals, achieve them, and not go crazy in the process. So, Kara, welcome to the show, and let's let's dig in. Yeah, 100%. High achiever here, too. I don't know if I'm recovering. I might still be in it, yeah. but I've definitely changed my approach over the years. <laughs> certainly, certainly. Um, before we dig into all that fun content today, uh, let's take a quick step back and learn more about you. Um, I want to hear a bit of your background and really what kind of got you into your current line of work uh, with life coaching or other uh, other activities that really get you into this, uh, the mindset shift and, and mm-hmm. these high achiever type uh, type works. Yeah, absolutely. So I call it the um, Ivy League to life coach pipeline. It's like not a very standard career path. Uh, I was used to be a lawyer. I was a women's rights lawyer. I went to um, Yale and Harvard Law. I went to Yale undergraduate and Harvard Law School. And so I was on this very um, traditional, high achieving path. Right, very socially sanctioned. There was like a very clear path to follow. You know, you go to law school. You try to get. You try to go to college. You try to get into a good law school get into law school, you try to get a good clerkship, then you you write on and on the path. And I did that. And I did it fueled pretty much entirely by anxiety and self-loathing the whole time. Hmm. And I, I don't, I was not totally aware of that at the time, but you know, I had that experience that a lot of high achievers have where you like get each brass ring as you're going along and you keep thinking like this is going to be the one that makes me feel like I'm confident. I know what I'm doing. I deserve to be here. And I think that's especially can happen to anyone, especially for people who are, um, you know, women or people of color or people who have other kind of absorb more socialization about like their abilities. And so at a certain point, you just have to be like, I don't know, man, this doesn't seem to be working. (laughs) Like I keep going for the next thing and I keep getting it and I still don't feel good about myself and I still feel anxious and insecure. So I, you know, started just trying to solve that problem for myself and I went to talk therapy and I got really into yoga and meditation and I like tried all the things you try. And it really wasn't until I found um, coaching and more specifically this sort of cognitive focused coaching that I teach a version of now that when I, where I learned that you could actually change the way that you think and that all of my anxiety and insecurity were coming from my thoughts about myself. And so that was 2000 and I got certified as a coach first in 2015. So that's now almost eight years ago, which is really wild. 
And I left my job running a think tank at Columbia Law School, and I became a life coach, just like my Jewish parents always wanted for me to do. <laughs> and, and then I built a seven-figure business, and you know now I have well, we've had multiple seven figures, multiple years in a row. I have 12 employees. I have a podcast with 45 million downloads. And so I've like high achieved in this area too, but my experience of it has been so different because of the fuel that I'm using. In my past career, it was fueled by anxiety, self-loathing, trying to conform to what society expected of me, trying to like earn, you know, approval and credentials that everybody would sort of acknowledge and this journey has been like going way off the beaten path, doing something that didn't make any sense at the beginning, but really fueled by a completely different set of thoughts. And that's how I got here. Uh, and I'm the host of the Your Brain podcast. My first book, Take Back Your Brain, is coming out in May and is available for pre-order now. And I coach women all over the world on how to um, identify the social messages they've received, how those have impacted the way they think, and how to change their thinking. I, I like your story in a lot of ways because I think that you fall into the category that a lot of high achievers do, which is that, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm kind of telling your story for you, but there was a, you know, you pursued law, you pursued this path, uh, you're kind of you know, collecting those brass rings. What do you think uh, caused you to say, like, I want to go get those things? Was that like an internal motivation to want mm -hmm. to achieve that or did someone else influence you to go that direction? Yeah, it's so hard to say. I think it has to be some of both, right? Like, obviously, you know, you can have siblings who grow up in a family and are very different in terms of their ambition or desire to achieve in certain ways. So it's not just nurture, um, but nurture is not, not a part of it. <laughs> I grew up in a, you know, in a sort of very well-educated career and educational focused, uh, you know, Jewish family from New York. And like, it was not like, are you going to get a graduate degree? It's like, which graduate degree are you going to be getting? Mm. Right. And yeah. so it was like, you could be a lawyer or a doctor or a professor. And I was not going to be a doctor. So I tried <laughs> lawyer. I tried professor. Um, so I think it was both. You know, I certainly see that the same. I don't think it's like a coincidence that I've been very, very, I've been in the sort of, you know, top 1% of a career in two different careers. Um, there's something about, you know, me and the way that I think that produces that and my drive, my ambition. But I also think it's, of course, we like some of us have more barriers than others. You know, some of us have more like I wasn't dealing with a family that didn't value education or didn't read to me or didn't, you know, whatever else. Like my family was very focused on that. And that certainly impacted me. Yeah, certainly. I mean, there's no doubt that you know, your environment has plays a, a big role. Um, and one of the things you had mentioned earlier, I think that's, you know, I was alluded to as well, is this this reality that high achievers deal with anxiety and self-doubt and we achieve a lot and then we somehow don't feel the fulfillment mm -hmm. that we expect to get. I mean, I know um, I used to run a lot of marathons and whenever I would you know, cross the finish line, there was a very temporary feeling of success mm -hmm. followed by, well, what now? And it was mm -hmm. that, that gap afterwards of like, oh man, that didn't do what I thought it was going to do for me. <laughs> and mm -hmm. like, what, what do we do with, with those, those feelings? Yeah, I think that's super common. And, you know, my belief and what I teach is that your circumstances don't cause your feelings, your thoughts do. So that's why we have that experience. We all think like, I'm just going to feel different when dot, 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 mm. right? It's like, I'm just going to feel, I'm just going to feel so good about myself when I get a clerkship on a federal appeals court, if you're me, or I'm just going to feel so satisfied and like fulfilled when I run a marathon, if you're you, <laughs> right? And <laughs> 
The circumstance doesn't cause your feeling. You have a thought about it. Some people run a marathon and feel amazing. Some people get a, a you know federal appeals court clerkship and feel amazing. And some people don't. And it, the difference is what is their thought about it? And especially for those of us who have like especially when you have a goal you've really worked a long time for. One of my best friends is a coach and it took her not actually objectively a long time, just a little bit longer than some of our other friends and colleagues to make seven figures in her business for the first time. And it was like this goal that she was really just believed like when she finally got there, she was going to feel like she was good enough and she belonged and her business was good enough. And when she did hit it, she like went into a temporary depression because Mm. It didn't deliver those feelings, right? So one of the, the way I try to, I always explain this to people is like, if you think about your brain like a muscle, you're training your brain to think a certain way. So if you're training your brain constantly to think, my business isn't good enough, it doesn't make enough money, I'm not doing it well, nothing changes in your brain magically the day that your bank account hits a certain amount, right? You've taught your brain to think a certain way. So for me, if I'm spending my whole academic career thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. People are going to figure it out. I'm not smart enough for this. I didn't try out for law review. I'm not really an intellectual. Right? If I'm thinking those thoughts all the time and I'm like strengthening those neural networks in my brain, getting a call from a judge saying I want to offer you a job does not undo 10 years of thinking that way. Mm. Right? So we have to learn to change our thinking if we want to feel any differently. So is that what's meant by thought work or what, what's included in that? Yeah. I mean, people you might use that term slightly differently. I use thought work to mean really working with your thoughts. Like most of us, and no shame in this, this was me. No one had ever taught me either. Until I was 35, I like wasn't aware you could work with your thoughts. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> you get the thoughts you get. <laughs> and like you just you know you like wake up in the morning you're like man I hope my brain isn't a total asshole today <laughs> right like you don't know what's gonna happen you just feel like your life and your emotions and your thoughts are just gonna happen to you and you're just trying to like hold on for the ride that's how I felt so when I learned that you you know when someone taught me that actually number one not all your thoughts are true like mm. I just was like well I'm thinking things because they're true that's obviously why I'm thinking them that's not the case. Your brain thinks thoughts for a whole variety of bizarre reasons. And one of that I learned like, and you can decide what to think on purpose. I was just like, this is the secret to life. Like, how did nobody tell me this before? So for me, that is, you know, thought work can, it can mean a lot of things. It certainly also involves like your emotions. It's not literally just your thoughts. But for me, it's like the practice of fundamentally it is becoming aware of what I'm thinking. Most of us have like no idea seeing how my thinking is playing out in my life. Like, how is it making me feel? How's it making me act? What kind of returns am I getting on like my kind of energetic investment in those feelings and actions? And then what do I want to believe and the practice of literally teaching my brain to think something else on purpose? What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with my sponsor, Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Finally achieve your new language goal in 2024 with Babbel the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me to learn real-life conversation skills in German, 
including ordering food and asking for directions without having to rely on language apps while traveling. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Now, here's a special limited-time deal for my listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash 5am. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash 5am, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 5am. Rules and restrictions may apply. I mean, is there like a set of habits or practices you go through to to change your thinking? Because I know that mm-hmm. from from the you know, in the past I've done things like meditation or yoga or even to that degree just actually to work out in general, like to go work my muscles physically. And I mm-hmm. might think, well, because I did a physical workout, uh, my brain has then been changed because I'm pushing myself in a in difficult way. Like you know, high achievers set a big goal, mm-hmm. we we work towards it, but that doesn't really change our thoughts about what we're thinking necessarily, right? Yeah, I think about a lot of people use exercise. I mean, people use a lot of different things to manage their emotions. And like some people use exercise, some people use drinking, like we think one Mm. of those is more virtuous than the other. But if you are not changing the way you think, and your thoughts are producing anxiety or stress for you, then whether you're, you know, drinking or running, like one of those might have somewhat better impact on your physical health, you're not resolving the underlying problem, right? So it's like Mm. your brain creates a bunch of anxiety, you go for a run, you get endorphins, you feel better, but the next day you got to do it again. And I certainly, you know, I see this in people who over depend on exercise to manage their emotional life. And then if they get injured, they're like completely screwed uh, yeah, because they like don't have any other way to manage it. So if they can't go for a run, they like can't cope. And I just don't think like exercise great, but nobody, you don't want to, you don't want to be in that position, right? Because we're all going to age. Our bodies are going to change. <laughs> so you just, I just don't want anyone to ever have like, if I can't do this one thing, if I can't drink, if I can't run, if I can't whatever, then I you know can't be okay. And so I think um, you have to, when you want to change your thinking, yes, there's a whole process. I, and I, you know, teach this in depth in my book and on the podcast. Um, but essentially, you have to figure out what you're thinking now, which again, most of us don't have a lot of conscious awareness of because a lot of your thoughts are unconscious or subconscious. So you have to become aware of how, what you're thinking, which thankfully is actually not that difficult. If you just sit down and start writing, your thoughts will come out. And then you have to decide what you want to believe instead. And for some people, that's like too far. And so I have a practice I call that's in the book as well that I call um, the 10% less thought. Because what most people have experienced when they've heard of positive thinking or like positive mindset or high vibes or whatever is like telling yourself the super positive thought that you don't believe. So for example, you know, if you are dealing with body image stuff, if you're thought your if if your current thought is like my stomach is disgusting trying to practice thinking i'm a beautiful goddess is just <laughs> not going to work you don't get any emotional payoff cuz you don't believe it and your brain is just like what are you talking about no you're gross right just that doesn't work and that's what people have been taught is like they've been given sometimes affirmations from outside of them and told to practice them and what i really teach is a bottom up approach which is you learn your how to deal with your own brain and you come up with a thought that is just a little bit better that you actually believe so you get emotional payoff. So for instance, rather than my stomach is disgusting, you might try thinking this is a human stomach or 
lots of stomachs look like mine or my stomach does its job of digesting my food. It's like we're not trying to believe something totally unrealistic. We're just subbing in a thought that feels a little bit less bad. And then you have to practice that over and over and over. But those two skills, learning how to come up with a thought that feels a little bit less shitty and practicing it over and over will change your life completely. I mean, that sounds like a workout to me, where if you were to say, like, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm, I'm not in shape today, you're not going to start with a marathon, right? You're going to start right, with a totally. very simple you know, workout. I, I feel like the same thing is happening here. It's, you don't start with saying, you know, I'm an Olympic athlete today. It's no, we're not yes. there yet, right? That's the end goal. It's not right. And people do that. They're like, I just, I have to have a positive mindset, right? So I'm just going to like, I have to believe this thing. And like, you don't go in the gym and deadlift 400 pounds out of nowhere. Right. You got to practice and keep showing up and build that capacity. So like I'll coach people and then I'll offer them a new thought to practice thinking and they'll be like, yeah, but I just don't 100% believe that yet. And I'm like, you just heard it 20 <laughs> seconds ago. Like you got to practice and give it a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think the, the interesting kind of reality that this I've, I've before discussed this idea of all or nothing, where basically if we feel the sense that we can't do everything today, we're going to do nothing. We're going to stop right. and give up on day one. And I feel like I fall into that trap all the time where I just I picture myself being unable to complete the whole thing at once. Mm -hmm. And so I'm out automatically. I feel like that falls into that mental trap quite a bit. And then all of a sudden you've stopped yourself before you've started it all. Yeah, I mean, there's, I forget the name of it, but there's, you know, psychological research showing that people uh, overestimate how much they can get done in a day. Like, we've all made that to-do list that there was no way it was ever happening in one day. But we underestimate how much we can get done over a long period of time. And we have that. And I think American culture in particular really contributes to this, like, urgency. We want everything right away, right? Like, mm. everything should be delivered right away with no effort on our part. And... That's not how the body works. That's not how the brain works. So you can, it's like people will try to change their thinking and because they still have some negative thoughts on day two, they're like, this isn't working. I'm done. Mm. Right. But it took however old you are that many years for your brain to get to where it is. It's a miracle that it doesn't take that long to undo it, but it does take some time. So, you know, swapping out a slightly more positive or just slightly less negative thought and really practicing that for like, two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, like you can actually change so much in your life if you're willing to do it little bit by little bit. But when you look at that, right, that big picture, you know, it believing that you should be at that big picture already or that it's like not going to sort of feel better or be worth it until you're at the end is what keeps people from starting. So how would you think something like hustle culture would play into this? Because I feel like there yeah. are there's so many outside forces, like you're, to your point earlier about wanting things done immediately. I know that I'm very impatient. Like I'm the kind of person that, you know, I have a high bar for myself and I tend to kind of force that onto others, but I probably shouldn't mm -hmm. do so. And I feel like there's this kind of societal move towards moving faster for the sake of faster and just continuing that process to the point mm -hmm. of just insanity. And I guess, how does that play into this kind of high achiever dilemma we're talking about here? Yeah, I think there's a number of levels to it. Like, number one, we're all living in a capitalist society, right? And we're in like late stage capitalism, which just means that uh, there's sort of, right, as you're saying, more and more... Um, kind of pressure to produce more and more. So mm -hmm. I want to acknowledge like some of this is, you know, not coming from your brain. It depends, you know, if you have a job where you're work for a big company that has to maximize profits and the CEO is yelling at the 
VP and the VP's yelling at you. Like that's <laughs> coming from the top. But there's all, I think one of the reasons that people are like hustling so much is they're, I, they're trying to get away from their own negative self-talk and negative emotion. And we think that if we just work harder and do more, we're going to feel better at some future point. Right. So this is like a thing that humans do all the time. And it's one of these like um, cuts on both sides. Right. I think the, the whole reason humans have been able to build a whole society is that we have the ability to like imagine an end goal and work towards it. But when you kind of tell yourself that either you need to work harder so that your brain will stop being mean to you, you can't work hard enough to make your brain stop saying that you're lazy. Hmm. It, it, those, cause it's not, your brain's not giving you an accurate, like summation of your activity. It's just been programmed to think that. So it's going to say that no matter what. So you can't work hard enough to get away from your own negative thinking. You can't work hard enough to get away from your own negative emotion. And I think people end up partly hustling because when you are having a lot of negative emotion and you don't know how to deal with it and you don't know how to change your thoughts, you become much less efficient, right? So I think it take, everything takes twice as long to get done. So then you're constantly having to work so much. But all of that is because it's sort of like having a, um, like a weight tied to your ankle that you don't know about that's like slowing you down. When you have a lot of negative self-talk you're not aware of, you're beating yourself up, you're telling yourself you're slow, you're lazy, this should have been done last week, you're not good enough, right? You are actually creating like a lot of emotional resistance for yourself and that makes everything take longer. So I do think there's some external hustle culture pressure, but also we're like internalizing it and then expressing it because we are trying to get away from our negative emotions and then that's making everything take twice as long. So it's like a multi-layered problem. Yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds like the kind of thing where we we are kind of victims of our environment to that degree. But I guess my question, I had this, I had this experience probably a year or two ago where I would catch myself in those moments where I was having those kinds of negative thoughts. And I made a decision to say, I'm going to like acknowledge that moment when I have the negative thought and try to spin it in the moment. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make it more positive. And I have found that to be very difficult to do, but also <laughs> effective. It does seem to yeah. work. And I just, I know for me, it, it, I mean, I'm unlearning decades of negative thinking and trying to right. slowly pinpoint those. And it's it's hard to do, but I do feel like I'm making at least some headway in that direction. Yeah, it's a process. I really recommend writing down your thoughts to figure out what you're thinking. That makes it a lot easier. And I have it, there's an episode on my podcast called The Thought Ladder, where I teach like the technique that I use that I use to sort of help people figure out what to practice believing instead. Um, But I think that like what we, when we are feeling rushed, what we're really feeling is anxiety. Like Mm -hmm. when we're feeling that need to move fast. So like I worked on this a lot with my assistant when I hired her, she used to like make a lot of mistakes. And, and, and every time, you know, I, in my business, we like assume it's your thoughts because that's what I teach and believe. Right. So it's not like there's something wrong with you. It's like, well, what are you thinking that's making these mistakes happen. And it was always that she was rushing because her thought was that she didn't have enough time. Mm. So she would think that she didn't have enough time or she would think she had too much to do. That would make her feel anxious. Then she would rush. Then she would make mistakes, which always makes everything take longer, right? And so what she had to change, it wasn't the case that she had too much to do. She now handles way more than she did at the beginning with fewer mistakes. It was because her thinking had to change to go from I'm behind, there's too much, well, you know, I can't do it, which was actually slowing her down and causing the mistake. So I also think anytime you feel like you're hustling, 
it's like useful to pause and ask yourself, like, what, what am I trying to hustle towards or hustle away from? <laughs> Why yes. am I in a rush? What am I trying to get away from or what am I trying to get to? I feel that, yeah, that, that question has been one I've thought of a lot too, where I've, I've come to this point where I, I want to be drawn to something, like magnetized towards it. And I feel like a lot of my life has been, to your point, like rushing away from things I don't mm -hmm. want, which is basically like making choices out of fear or just it's the wrong rationale, which to that example there, then causes problems and mistakes and the rushing and the anxiety. And I feel like that's such a common trap to feel like you have more than you can possibly get done in a day. And then therefore you're working 10 times faster than necessary. I just, I wonder if there's a way, how do we shift that process to where we can kind of, I don't know, be okay in our own skin to say the pace can be slower and we don't have to be so crazy all the time? I mean, you really have to change whatever thought that is. Like, it really comes down to the granular. If if your thought is there isn't enough time, then you have to change that thought, right? And mm. if somebody comes to me and says, I need coaching because my thought is there isn't enough time, I really probably want to go even one layer deeper than that. Like, there's not enough time for what? right? Or there's not, what does that mean? There's not enough time to get these 12 things done in this day. Okay. What if you make it eight things? Like most of our really negative thinking, it, it doesn't like hold up when you start asking questions of it, mm. right? Like if your thought is like, nobody likes me, it's like, well, really? Nobody? <laughs> like, is that actually true? <clears throat> of course, no. It's like, well, actually I just mean Becky. I think she doesn't like me. <laughs> it's like <laughs> when you really practice some self-inquiry, you get much more specific about what your brain is actually freaking out about. It's usually much smaller than the way it was talking about it. And then you have to be practicing some other new thought, right? So for my assistant, let's say it was like, there's enough time to get everything done, right? Like you have to be practicing something new or else you're always going to be trying to run away from that stress. And like your brain goes where you go. So you're not, you can't out, you have to like give up the fantasy that uh, you can kind of outwork your own stress and anxiety or outrun it, get away from it. Like the only way out of it is through it. Fast forward to the end of 2024 and think about your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should check out my sponsor, Babbel. Finally achieve your new language goal in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, and studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me to learn real-life conversation skills in German, including ordering food and asking for directions, without having to rely on language apps while traveling. Now, here's a special limited-time deal for my listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash 5am. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash 5am, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 5am. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now, I know there was a concept that I was going to ask you about uh, today with setting impossible goals. 
And I want to, I want to hear your thoughts on that specifically because it's something that I have thought about before in that idea of pursuing things that sound way more challenging than what I've ever thought I could do. I mean, I'll go back to my mm -hmm. the marathon example. You know, I never even imagined that I could do that until I did it. And I wonder mm -hmm. if there's any kind of like, connection there between like the kinds of goals we set for ourselves and then how that plays into like the way we approach them. Mm-hmm. I think impossible goals are like a really, it's like it can be like poison or amazing <laughs> depending on your brain. Um, for some people who are really high achievers, let me put it this way. If your brain, if you are used to beating yourself up, your brain can use anything to do that, right? Mm. So for some people, I think, you know, setting in a, like, what I with this place I see high achievers have trouble with this is that they set an impossible goal, which by definition, the way I teach it at least, is supposed to actually seem impossible. It's just supposed to expand your idea and your mind. And then they beat themselves up for not achieving it immediately. Mm. Right. And I'm like, well, then it's not an impossible goal. Like if you could achieve it immediately, it wouldn't be an impossible goal. Right. So the I think like the point of an impossible goal for me is not so much do you achieve it or not, but like who do you have to become as you are trying to achieve it? Like, how do you have to think differently, right? So if I tell myself, like, I want to sell a million copies of my book, like, that feels like an impossible goal. It doesn't really matter. Like, if I hit 980,000 or if I even hit half a million, I'm not going to be like, ugh, I didn't get there. I'm, I suck, right? Yeah. Like, that's not the point <laughs> of the goal. The point of the goal is that if I tell myself I want to sell 20,000 copies, I think about what I need to do very differently than if I tell myself I'm trying to sell a million. Mm, right. It just right. completely changes the way you think about what you need to do to achieve the goal. Just like, you know, if we're taking like a running example, like if your goal is to run a 3K, you're going to think about what you need to do and who you need to become very differently than if your goal is to run an ultra marathon. Does it really matter if you ever complete an ultra marathon? I mean, maybe it'd be nice to, but that's not, you know, completing things or doing things or achieving things is not for me. It's not, I mean, that's not a goal in and of itself. You don't get like an extra sticker on your chart when you go to heaven or something. Like it's not, <laughs> <clears throat> right? It's only for your own satisfaction. So I think that's where I see high achievers get tripped up is they're so used to setting goals and achieving them and basing their self-esteem on that, that an impossible goal can be kind of a trap for them if they then, either they pick something they know they can do and then they don't have to stretch or they do pick a stretch and then they're beating themselves up for not achieving it, which also isn't the point. So you got to make sure that when you pick an impossible goal that – like sometimes you do achieve them and that's awesome. I mean making seven figures in my business was an, was an impossible goal at one point. Now it's, you know, that's no that's no biggie. But it that can't be – like you don't want to talk to yourself like if I don't achieve this, I'm bad and I didn't do it right and something went wrong, right? You want to be thinking about – it goes right back to what we started out by talking about, like – Getting to the goal isn't what is going to give you satisfaction. It has to be the process along the way. Yeah, I mean, along those lines, if if it, you know the uh, the finish line is not as uh, fulfilling as we would like it to be, like how do you make that shift to enjoying the process? Because obviously, you know, let's say I use myself as an example where I have a checklist every day and I get you know that dopamine hit by checking mm -hmm. boxes. Like I feel good when I can say to myself, like I set a small goal today, I got it done. Here's the next one. Like, are we like striving for a, a lifestyle where that's enough? Where the the checkbox is is the point? Because I feel like. The, the joy in the journey has to be more than a checkbox. Like it's somewhere along the lines that's not what we're doing. 
No, I, I think it has to be like, what are your values? What's the point? Like, why do you choose a particular goal? Mm. Why is it important to you, right? Like, what is the reason for it? Like, I would never set the goal of an ultra marathon because I don't want to do that. And right. it doesn't feel compelling to me, right? So I think there's a big difference between like what gives me a temporary hit of dopamine and what is aligned with my values and the person I want to be long term. Right. And that's yeah. where you get satisfaction. I think you get satisfaction out of being aligned with your own values. But most people don't know what their own values are. They just know what they've been told they're supposed to be. <laughs> and they've never really stopped and thought about it. Right. So it's not just like trying to live up to whatever, you know, the current wellness culture tells you is like what's healthy or happy or good. Or, you know, society always has an idea of what's virtuous and what's not that it feeds you. But living up to that doesn't produce satisfaction if those aren't your values. That's why so many people have midlife crises because <laughs> you like spend all this time like getting the job and getting the partner and getting the picket fence and the kids and the dog and whatever. And then you're like, what? I don't even want any of this. Mm. Right. I don't feel the way I thought I was going to feel. So I think like one of the things that I feel is a, the biggest difference between me and a lot of um, a lot of my students when they first come to me. And not not to get kind of morbid, but I really think this is like the bottom line of what it's about. Is like I feel like if I got hit by a truck tomorrow, I'd be bummed. Like I'd like to do some more stuff, but I wouldn't feel any regrets about how I've lived my life and mm. like w the decisions I've made. And then and I know that I have I haven't been all versions of myself. There's more to come. I hope, <laughs> but I've like been all the versions I could be up until this point. I have like really lived a life that was aligned with my values, my priorities, I've fully expressed who I am. And I think most people don't feel that way. And so that's why we're like going for the dopamine checkbox or doing what society told us or, you know, and you can't figure out who you are unless you get to know your own brain and your own thoughts and your own feelings because all of us are different. And if you're following the cookie cutter recipe, you're not, you're just going to feel cookie cutter. Hmm. That's true. Uh, in terms of, I guess, approaching all of this from the perspective of daily habits, it's one thing I like mm -hmm. to lean on a lot. I'm wondering, are there any specific practices you like to do every day to kind of stay in touch with your values or stay in touch with the, the better version of you? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I wish I could say I have the perfect morning routine that you could see on Instagram. Um, <laughs> but I, of course, like my, the people who listen to my podcast and follow me would immediately become perfectionistic about doing the perfect daily thing I said and then beat themselves up for not doing it. Uh, but absolutely every day I am paying attention to what I'm thinking and feeling and practicing being curious instead of judgmental with myself. Hmm. Like uh, that is, and that's not like just five minutes in the morning. That is like all day long, like paying attention to what I am thinking, noticing when I'm judging myself, noticing when I am having an intense negative emotion, asking myself what's going on, like treating myself and my own internal life as worthy of consideration and with kind of compassion and curiosity. If you want to turn this into what you can do, you can set a timer, sit down, write for five minutes. Just if your brain says, I don't know, I don't have anything to say, I don't know, that's fine. Just write that. Just keep going. At the end of five minutes, your timer goes off. Look at everything you wrote and see if there's a thought you can see in there, just a phrase or a sentence that you can tell is probably like doesn't feel good or isn't working out for you, right? Like, God, I was so lazy yesterday or I shouldn't have eaten that pizza. I'm such a pig or I can't believe I yelled at my kids. I'm a terrible mom. Like look for a thought that is self-critical or you can tell is like makes you feel bad and then 
see what you can come up with that's 10% less than that. You can listen to this podcast I have. You can, you know, when my book comes out, pre-order the book. And then when my book comes out, you can read the book, go into a lot more detail on figuring out like what thought to think, but just being just like, what is a slightly nicer to myself version of this thought? Even if it's like, I'm only lazy sometimes. <laughs> or like, <laughs> sometimes I'm lazy and sometimes I work hard. Like we laugh, but that feels different in your body than I'm always lazy. And those little bits are what's going to change. So if you want, that's the daily practice I recommend is like five minutes of writing, pick a thought, come up with something 10% nicer. And then you got to practice that new thought when, you know, all day. I mean, do you think that that idea of just being nicer to yourself is really like kind of at the core of what you're working at now? Yeah, in some ways. I mean, I think that, you know, self like care and self-compassion, like there's just there's ways that these these things get a lot of play, but nobody explains how to actually do them. Mm. And so I think that like the very specific here's how to change what you're thinking is really important. Um, and I also tend to not always frame it that way as my main thing, partly because what I see, especially with um, people socialized as women or, you know, with other kind of marginalized identities is that they don't even know when they're being self-critical. Like women mm. will tell me horribly self-critical thoughts and then explain to me that they're just realistic and know themselves. <laughs> they're like, I'm just, they're like, no, no, no. I, I'm not, I'm not being mean to myself when I say I'm lazy. I'm just really self-aware. You know, I'm like, oh my God. Like, you know, so I, I like, yes, it is at the core of everything on some level. It's like teaching you how to develop a better relationship with yourself. But <laughs> Because people don't even know how mean they are to themselves. It's sort of like not always what I lead with. But yes, I do think <laughs> at the core. That's what, because that's what like what society does is teach us to internalize critical voices and use them on ourselves. Mm. And so undoing that means creating a different relationship with yourself. Mm. That's very powerful. This has been very interesting. I really like the work you're doing. I really like the way that you think. It's, it's actually really interesting about thoughts in general, but I would love our listeners to to learn more about how you think and how they can think better. Uh, so tell them where they can copy of your book and then hear your podcast and then the whole deal. All the things, yes. Uh, the book is called Take Back Your Brain. It's available for pre-order anywhere you want. You can go to Amazon. You can go to bookshop.org if you like to support the indie booksellers, wherever you want to go. Uh, the podcast is called Unfuck Your Brain. It's available on every possible podcast player you can imagine. And um, you can find me on social media at my name, which is a little long, Cara Lowenthal. But if you just Google Unfuck Your Brain and Cara, K-A-R-A, you'll find me. Okay, perfect. I'll make sure those links are available for our listeners this week in the show notes. And Cara, this has been uh, well worth my time, I know. Hopefully it's for <laughs> listeners as well. Um, I definitely am I'm thinking differently about thinking. I think it's the whole point, hopefully. So <laughs> thank you for Absolutely. all that. Thanks for having me. And for the action step this week, set an impossible goal. Who could you become if you set out to do something you never imagined was possible? The thing about impossible goals is that it's not about the finish line, but about who you become along the way. Set your sights a little higher and see what can happen. JeffSanders.com slash 511 is the place to go with episode notes, including links to Kara's website, podcast, and book. And of course, subscribe to or follow this podcast in any amazing podcast app you're using right now. And that's all I've got for you here on the 5 a.m. Miracle Podcast this week. Until next time, you have the power to change your life. 
and the fun begins bright and early. Hey, it's Jeff Sanders, and I'm here to tell you about Greg McEwen and his amazing show, The Greg McEwen Podcast, part of the Yap Media Network. Want to achieve more by doing less, all while avoiding burnout? You can design a life that really matters with Greg McEwen, author of New York Times bestsellers, Effortless and Essentialism. His mission is to help you advocate and negotiate your way to remarkable results. Every Tuesday, Greg discusses one key topic he finds interesting and valuable through the lens of the essentialist. Every Thursday, he invites thought leaders, entrepreneurs, celebrities, and people like you for inspired weekly conversations focused on learning how to do what matters first and do less but better. His content will stir your thoughts and spark inspiration and action. And his British accents, well, that's just the cherry on top. Subscribe to the Greg McEwen podcast today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.